Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Bonjay is an electronic soul and dancehall duo based in Toronto, Ontario. Consisting of Alana Stewart and Ian Swain, Bonjay released EPs in 2009 and 2010 and then spent the subsequent years touring, traveling, writing, and living life. All of those experiences have fed into the production of their first full-length album, 2018's Lush Life, which is out via Mysteries of Trade. Alana, Ian, and I met at the Entertainment One Studios in Toronto recently to discuss Bonjay, the concept of diversity, the songs on Lush Life, and much, much more. With in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, and Planet of Sound locations in Ottawa and Toronto, and, of course, flexible monthly pledges by listeners like you at patreon.com slash Control. This is the 398th episode of Creative Control, featuring Bonjay, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. How are you? I'm well. Nice to have you back uh, in my presence. You have never been on this show. I almost said welcome back to the show. I've listened many times. Yes, you, you've you been very kind in your support of the show. Yeah, yeah. So. so it's nice to be here in conversation with you. Does it feel like you have been on the show? Is that why I was mistaken? Um, Actually, you know what? We, we had a live version for, I think it was Wavelength, Lido Pimienta. Oh, 
No, I didn't host that one. Oh, you didn't host I that was, one. Uh, my daughter, I think, was being born at that point. And right. then I think it was Vanessa Dunn. Yes. From Vag Halen. Yes. Did a long, she, I asked her to fill in for me on right. Long Night, and she got, uh, who I don't remember who else. Lito was Pimienta. Yeah. And Aria Evans, a dancer, an indigenous Canadian, well, obviously Canadian indigenous dancer. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a night of powerful women, That's and right. then a future powerful woman was being born. My daughter. Your daughter. I hope is who you mean. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Ramona. Yeah. Ramona. Yeah, she's amazing. She is amazing. All right. Well, it's nice to have you. And and you, sir, Ian. Ian, Swain. how are you? I'm good, thank you. It's nice to have you, you too here on the show. Now, I, I I I'm astonished to learn. First of all, congratulations on Lush Life. Thank you. I've been listening to it a lot, and I really enjoy it. But I was I was reading the the promotional material. How is it possible that this is the... F- is this really your first album? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we put when out, did, I guess, a couple of EPs, really. Mm-hmm. But when did we... Like, so you and I, we've interviewed... I've interviewed you before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when was that? I don't remember when that was. It must have been for the first EP or something, or... Uh, I think it was our second, second one, EP. Brought our brought-up yeah. so, Okay, so when, when, was, when, when did that come I out? I think you probably interviewed us in early 2011. So seven years ago, I mm. interviewed you for one of your. Was that your? You're saying that was your second EP. The second mm-hmm. thing. That so we how put did out. it? And I, you know, things happen for a reason. But mm-hmm. how is it possible that it's been seven years since you've put out your first? It took you that long to make your first record. That's that's. Wow, well, Vish, you're the first person to point this out. I know. So far, I was, yeah. it's been it has been a long time. I hadn't realized how long <laughs> it had been. All that well, I don't mean to draw attention to time because I know that's a tired thing that people. Hey, what are you doing? It's been four years, but. But, but four years between second, third, fourth yeah. album, right? I've been hearing about Bonjay forever, yeah. And it, I just was like, how can that be the first album? Yeah. I, I thought I missed something. Like, what what is going on? So, so what 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 is happening? Which one of you has delayed production on this record because you didn't think it was ready? <laughs> <laughs> Setting up some drama was a loaded, already. Loaded question. I don't know that. What I don't know that. I don't think it, it's that the album wasn't ready. Truth be told, we we had another version of the album that we could have released, mm-hmm. but we didn't feel ready in terms of you know where we knew where we could be, what our vision was, and the skills that we had, and so we we gave ourselves the gift of time to fill that yeah. to fill that gap. And we, it, yeah, it definitely feels like we live in an era when there is no shortage of new music that is released. It's fair. Yeah. No, it's yeah. true. That the is overwhelming true. wave of music is such that it only feels like it's worth releasing something if you feel like you've come up with something unique that you know you're proud of. It seems like the most fully formed version. Well, wait a minute, Atlanta, when, you, when you say that the, there was a previous record done, mm-hmm. was it this record in a different form with these songs, or was it just totally different? It was some of these songs. Some of these songs. Yeah, but some in a of these songs. Different forms. Yeah, different forms, and we have probably a few albums worth of music and instrumentals and vocalized songs um, that could have gone on the record. Mm. These are the songs that that had to be on Lush Life. I do really believe that these things happen for a reason, right? It, it feels like it. Yeah. It's easy. I'm. When that much time goes by and when you're in the middle of developing, you know, learning uh, dance and movement for live performance so that my body can feel more free, going back to to, vo- to voice lessons so that 
my vocal cords could sustain the power of these vocal deliveries on tour night after night. Ian going back to music theory and studying music by uh, Minnie Riperton and Chili Gonzalez arrangements, all those things, it feels like you're you're running, but you're running through mud, you know? So mm, you're working, mm. you're working, you're working, but you're pushing up against the resistance of the learning curve. And over, you know, the course of those those years and while you're um, while you're developing, every once in a while I feel panic, like, oh my God, what if what if they forget about us? Or what if it what if it is too late? But I remember meeting a music journalist of high esteem and he said, People aren't gonna forget. Come out when the music is ready. Come out when it's good. Yeah. Don't come out when people when you think people are going to get tired or impatient. Like Ian said, there's plenty of music to, to keep people busy with. So, And I, I think time is a, it's, time is an arbitrary, but it is sort of. Our, our relationship with time is a little arbitrary. Yeah. I mean, there's no cycle that you have. Is, is, this, is this record on a label, per se? Our label. It's on your label, so you are in charge of your fate. There's <laughs> no one pressuring you to get a record in by a deadline, which is an amazing thing to have as an artist. Yeah. You create when you, you're ready to create, and you put things out when you're ready to put them out. But, I mean, Ian... Don't you think music and its valuation has changed dramatically in seven years? I mean, we are at a point where I don't think music is... I, I say this having a music, primarily a music, and you know, I have a music culture show, but I cover music and I'm invested in music as a fan, as a journalist, as a broadcaster, whatever. And I keep landing on this thing where I feel like music isn't valued the same way as it was did you notice that as well on some level was there was that kind of a thing where like you say you know there's plenty of music out there but do you think it's as valued in 2018 as it was in 2011 i think that uh it was not some kind of strategic choice to for us to take longer to finish the album for that reason right but it's definitely yeah characteristic uh that we've you've noticed you ever heard about that book the paradox of choice by Barry Schwartz. Yeah, it's I like a heard. pop science kind of book from yes. like 15 years ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think um, when something ceases to be scarce, I don't know, the dynamics of it change or something. And so well, its value changes and at least the perception of its value changes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like the the big change of the last few years is probably carrying around potentially every song ever made in your pocket yeah. more or less right? right and the way that that um the way that that works so yeah it has changed things a little bit i mean music is still such an opportunity to tell stories that are not being told it's such a good way to lend a personal and emotional side to things that are happening um but i think now more than like in the 80s or 90s or some decade when we weren't really making our own music you really yeah you have to like work harder for something to say it used to be that the music and the messages that were out there that were widespread were controlled by a small number of people right right sure and it's a pretty cool thing that now if you want to be exposed to like a different way of living or a different understanding of the world then you can grab that on social media on blogs on all kinds of publications um, you can be exposed to different different uh, ideas and stuff through all kinds of, of music. Um, but once it becomes an, aver- an avalanche and an overthrow, it does change a little bit the process of making 
music. Mm-hmm. I think I think now it's more like building a trusted relationship mm. than it used to be. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say as you were talking about, you know, you mentioned earlier it wasn't a strategic choice to take that long to make the record. Obviously, it would have been a dumb strategic <laughs> strategic <laughs> choice. But um, you know, with those changes that you talked about and people being faced with this avalanche of we don't even call it music anymore. We call it content, you know. Well, some people do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 You hope that people take the time to listen. And because you can't take that for granted, for us, we had to make sure that we put in the time to create music and for us anyway, to tell stories that would resonate and grab hold with the people that we could reach. Mm. And with Lush Life, the stories that we're telling are stories that exist outside of outside of us you know it's about the way we live in cities today and so I'm hoping that I I have faith that the way we've the way we've conveyed the present moment and the nuanced view we have of everyday life in the city we don't have to grab everybody but if it can mean something to the people that we do reach then it feels worth it and I'm confident in that. We would like to be the Edward Tufty or Jane Jacobs of music. <laughs> they put out a book every five years or so, but it's like it's really, really meaningful. That's yeah. fair. That that makes sense. <laughs> I, I can see you guys as those people for sure. Uh, tell me about this. I, I end up talking about cities with people all the time hmm. uh, on the show, um, particularly with the way real estate's working right now and the way cities are kind of closing in on us a little bit but also like becoming more exclusive for some people Mm. what are you talking about in terms of cities and lush life i know you were just saying that you know you're you're exploring stories um in cities from different perspectives Mm -hmm. but why did you land upon cities and cityscapes as a potential landscape for this record maybe i go first and then you can yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. because i I really (laughs) feel like um the connection between the overall theme of how we live in cities today and the narratives that are that are shared on the album also highlights the the differences between Ian and I. So and you're both <laughs> you're both based in Toronto mm-hmm. still, right? Mm-hmm. And, and how long have you both lived? How long have you lived in Toronto, Ian? Uh, eleven f- years. No, no, I'm from Ottawa. You're from Ottawa. I came here to go to school. Okay, eleven yeah, yeah. years. And uh, yeah, I'm from Ottawa and Brampton. Right. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I've been here twelve years. Twelve years. Okay. So uh, that just. I feel like that's germane, just like being in Toronto of all cities in this country and then coming up with this concept. I imagine it's related on some level, but mm. go, go forth, Ian. I think it's related a lot to touring, for mm. sure. I see. The Okay, so in my life outside of music, I work as an economist, but not the kind of economist that wears a gray suit and talks about like uh, the money supply, but more the kind that that uh, looks at cities, right? Like Jane Jacobs would be my favorite economist of all time, my hero sort of in that realm. So I think that was the starting point is because that is, outside of music, the thing that occupies my brain the most, right? Like why do cities exist? How do they grow? How do they take on their unique character? Mm -hmm. I think we live in an age when because all information can be accessed or virtually all information can be accessed from your phone in your pocket. What you're actually surrounded by in physical space in a city um, almost has more to do with what possibilities are open to you, what potential things could happen in your life. And we, we kind of saw an opportunity to tell some stories that were not being told because I think that the city in song 
has been presented as either it's tough, it's the ghetto, it's these things, or it's kind of a playground for artists where anything is possible and, you know, that like lower Manhattan in the late 70s sort of archetype, right? Which, you know, and through the 80s and 90s, cities did did feel like that, like the original Queen West scene and everything. But um, you're talking about cities, <coughs> city landscapes that are uh, sort of in disrepair and are sort of dilapidated and and almost undesirable for a certain sector of society. And then when you talk about Manhattan in the 70s, for instance, I mean, no one, New York was a cesspool and it was like punk rockers and people come in, art rockers and, and, and sort of artists coming in and making it a vibrant place to live again and culturally enriching it, which in turn made it impossible to live there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It, <laughs> because it, it became a, a hotspot again. It, it became in demand as a result of Montreal, the, the same, efforts and sacrifices right. The same things would artists. happen in Montreal yeah. in, in, the, in the last 18, 19, 20 years or something yeah. where all these loft spaces were being taken up by artists and musicians and for like dirt cheap rent and now it's getting harder and harder to find places to live there. Right. And so, so anyway. So that that kind of narrative, <clears throat> I think I feel like that story has been told. It has. A lot. We wanted to broaden it a bit, and you can tell I'm like the more conceptual one. Like it would, it, they would be really crappy songs if it was just me there writing these songs, right? But Alana brings the personal side, and you know the the lived experience of a lot of these things. The Put, putting herself into the, <laughs> I like how that implies that I'm a robot, basically. But Humanist. coming up with I'm the music, <laughs> and it's a little robotic maybe on some <laughs> level but not exactly but yeah 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 um but but anyway but uh the story we, we wanted to expand it out a bit because you know i think that probably the great project of the 21st century is cities all over the world are drawing in all these people from the hinterlands from all elsewhere in the world and it's pretty unprecedented in history that they they can actually make it work living together that, you know, people feel like there's an opportunity. They feel at home in this place. Mm. Um, mm. It's it's fair to people. I mean, there really is no historical precedent in thousands of years of human history that mm-hmm. we can do this. So it's kind of our great challenge of the modern era. And rather than just being about artists and that sort of reviving, you know, this dilapid, uh, dilapidated Hamilton kind of landscape through your artistry, being able to live cheap and dream big and stuff. We wanted to tell the stories of like other risk takers as well. So the immigrant experience, which, you know, we would go on tour and every city has a unique character, but they all have their groups of immigrants, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's all the Filipino people in Winnipeg or uh, we did, we haven't actually been to Nashville, but I heard that Nashville has the largest population of Kurds outside oh. of Iraq and Turkey, etc. Nashville. Nashville, exactly. But th- these kinds of things exist all over the, the place, right? You go to different cities and especially outside of the big ones where all the media are clustered like Toronto and New York and London – um, there are these little nooks and crannies of stories happening. It's often word. Of, I think it's often word of mouth, so to speak. Like chain migration. Well, so sort of, yeah, yeah. Like my family, you know, one of my uncles came to the Scarborough area, and then suddenly all of his brothers and sisters, including my mom, were sort of in. Uh, we were in Cambridge, but sort of an hour away. But we, we just, I think they just heard. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, 
it'll it'll work if we yeah. all if we all come like it'll work it worked it's working out yeah. I, I got a job and right i was able to get us an apartment or something and you know like it, it is interesting how that works so i mean so you you've come up with the conceptual thing uh, alana steps in to say she brings some of the humanity mm-hmm. some of these stories i plug in the human setting so how do you <laughs> in the database well actually can, can, can well, i can i jump in yeah, one, one more okay i just wanted to say that so so immigrants artists entrepreneurs as well. We kind of wanted to draw the common thread between all these people who come to the city to create new things, whether it's building a new life, because if you're an immigrant, you're kind of one of the most courageous people you can imagine. You've thrown away everything that you knew in order to build something new. Uh, If you start a company, then uh, most of those fail as well, and it's a brutal process. So He's yeah, we kind of we we kind of wanted to tell the the story of sort of the beauty and the chaos yeah. of the sorts of ambitious, courageous people who come to cities to to make new things. Mm-hmm. Say, so so how happen. how newcomers to the city can actually enrich that city on oh, some level? Oh, I mean that that goes without saying. I think I think this is more telling. It's even, an even more microscopic. Okay, yeah, it's a more yeah. microscopic view because yeah. I think if it was just you know talking about the potential of a city, it would become like a marketing campaign <laughs> for a municipality or something. Sure. Come to the city; it's a land of opportunity, right. and there are opportunities. That is a reality, but there you know are certain people, certain groups of people who may not necessarily have the same access to those opportunities or are not in a position to take advantage of them or that opportunity is not what you thought it was when you actually landed in a certain place or encountered a certain person. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to... It's not even as though I wanted to. It's in my nature to relate on a really deep human level. You know, what does an everyday, an everyday experience in the city look like? or feel, or sound, or smell like. You know, there's so many different experiences and so many different people coming here and, and looking for those opportunities. They're intersecting with each other's with, the, with each other and not knowing each other's stories. So I wanted to imagine, you know, if you were at a crosswalk and seeing a group of people walking across and you were to follow them for a day, what would you, what would you see? So everything from Devil's Night talking about a young couple who you know, have lost their passion because they have lost their passion to ambition or talking about an ingenue who left the safety of a carved out path in maybe the suburbs with her family and the, um, the guide of, of religion to go to the city and experiment with different ways of, of being. I wanted to have a more microscopic view of some of the broader conceptual ideas that Ian introduced. So is it, it's microscopic. Does that make it voyeuristic as well? Like, are you, is this based on observations you've made of people or are these imagined It's stories? both real and imagined. Yeah. yeah. There are a couple times where I invited a friend for a walk and I said, just tell me about yourself. And I'd write notes and I would write a story from that. Or I, it's this weird thing that happens to me at parties where I'm incapable of small talk. And a conversation will start with, hello, what's your name? And then somebody will tell me about their single mom who had them when they were a teenager, when she was like, she was a punk rocker and what it was like growing up in that environment. I've had conversations like this with people on tour and oh, that's so you. And, and, and at parties and it just gets very real, very fast. And um, you feel like this is something about you that draws people out? 
I've been told that, and I'm not sure what it is. Huh. I think maybe it's a blank stare where people don't know what I'm thinking, and so it's they not, just keep talking until I flinch, and I never do. Not, you don't have a blank stare. No, I don't think that's true. I think, uh, I think certain people have a certain aura, a trusting aura or an open an openness i'm definitely open yeah. and if we're being if we're being honest and not just talking about the record i think my upbringing has a lot to do with it as well my mother was a foster mother for quite some time and she was a respite foster mother and so what that means is um, we would get kids who maybe have been taken immediately out of their home and have to be placed somewhere before they're sent to a permanent spot um, or long-term foster parents need just a weekend off we would get foster foster children and so we had a steady hmm. rotation of people from all over Jamaican Canadians French Canadians Italian Canadians Inuit children um, a young woman who just came from Brazil you get to know people very quickly and you're living with them so it's in a very very personal way and you're also encountering a lot of their trauma a lot of their pain and these are young children and I'm a young child and I grew up with being able to bear witness to people's stories and not as a child, you don't really have pass judgment. I do think that that is a foundation of how I socialize and how I understand people. I don't take anybody's external identifiers or their current situation for, for granted. And also it just gave me a deep dive into life at a really young age. That's a tremendous amount of empathy to have to, Encount, like to, to basically put out into the world and, and yeah, especially, deal with at that age, I would think. Yeah. And I mean, it was also fun and exciting to, you know, to, to live with so many different people and learning how to swear in so many different languages. <laughs> and I had learned the Muslim prayer and mm. with my, my, my brother Tabish and I learned a lot, you know, and so it was fun, but I I don't want to. I don't want to reveal too much about the process. I'll just say that um, I think it did um, instill this deep empathy and this ability to listen and this ability to just observe and accept a certain situation. Um, and sometimes it's a tough place to to be in because when you hear opposing views encounter each other, I can't help but want to be a mediator and I can see the connection and where the disconnect is happening. In terms of songwriting without being exploitative, I think it just, it put me in this emotion, I'm automatically in this emotionally raw place. I have, I'm coming from a, I'm drawing from a deeper well of emotion and stories. And none of the stories on here are, are you know, derivative of, I'm not telling my foster brothers and sisters stories. And like I said, I'm not being exploitative, but I just think that it's become a part of how I convey a narrative. So that, so, so I, 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 this explains, I think, to some degree mm -hmm. where the conceptual and storytelling aspects of your music on this record come from. Mm -hmm. But as a singer, mm -hmm. as a musician, mm -hmm. how does everything we've just discussed inform your respective approaches to that and how you've come together here. Ian, can you can you deal with that question first? I'm just curious. I mean, how do you take these kinds of concepts and and and, and try to convey them within the sonic aspect mm. of a record like this? I think it's more this the songwriting side. I think it would be kind of corny if if it was like all samples from I don't the city. Think it's, I don't think of put, it as samples, but there's a, together there's a few way. moments on the record where I guess I knew a little bit about the context before we spoke. 
and there's a couple of musical swells and a couple of things going on where there's clatter and there's mm. sort of there's not discord per se, but there's just this sense of the kind of overwhelming feeling I have when I'm waiting to cross the street in Toronto or get on the subway okay. or something like that. And just that kind of weird anticipation of stillness and movement mm. uh, that you get in the city sometimes, in a bigger city. I guess that comes from, yeah, trying to capture a, a mood. And so so we'll usually come up with the concepts first. That's definitely something. I mean, the whole thing is like a a partnership. You wouldn't believe the things that I do that you would think Alana does and all the stuff that Alana does. I'm obviously be r- being totally <laughs> reductive and being like, you're the singer, you're the music player. Yeah. I don't know. I know. I actually, I'll correct you in a uh, second. Well, <laughs> I have a, I have a, I will say, like, I know that that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But on the surface area, on a superficial level, that's what people assume. So I was, yeah, I was trying to make some space for you to clarify yeah. that. Yeah. And yeah. also explain how you cohere here. Yeah, yeah, let's run with it. So often it might be me that has the seed of a song concept because, you know, what, a big thing in making the record was there's so much music that comes out now that is like, a combination of existing things or like a reworking of an existing sound. And the reason that we always say the way we live in cities today is because we wanted to write about real things that we were experiencing and seeing and be directly influenced by by life. A lot of our favorite music, I mean, we listen to music from, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, right through to the present. And a lot of our favorite music is unique and about that time and place. So that was a big that was a big thing. I think... Um, it had a kind of topicality to it. Then. You know what I mean? Like it, it kind of feels of a place and about a place. That's what you're saying. Yeah. And are you also suggest... there's? I guess there's music that feels anchorless as well, isn't mm. there? There's music that could be from any time and that's got its own limitations on some mm. level. I'm thinking about like a lot of... Uh, one of my favorite genres is like 60s, 70s orchestral soul stuff mm-hmm. yeah so like uh, Aretha Franklin and her sisters who would write a lot of the songs uh the Marvin Gaye stuff Curtis Mayfield Labby Seifert I mean there's like dozens of people but that very much of the time and place right the civil rights movement was happening and they would sing about that directly there's some music that comes out now that is hearkening back to that kind of sound and so on and a lot of it is really lovely well-assembled music but for us the the path that we chose was let's seek what they sought not follow in their footsteps let's say right Let, let's make a record that maybe in years down the road people think that it sounds like now and so i i, I guess it maybe it sounds like the city indirectly because we're thinking about these concepts of like the feeling of night bus blue the last song on the record really swells and is big and is full of tension and so on it's about uh that time when you ride the night bus at like 4:30 in the in the morning when it's a mix between people who are starting their day to go to work yeah. and who are finishing their day because they've been out drinking and partying and right. and whatever and uh just the the energy of uh, ambition and despair and the contrasts. You know, cities are great places for people from very different walks of life meeting. So, yeah, it would be like we'd come up with the concept for the the song and, mm-hmm. and Atlanta can talk a bit more about that. But um, it sounds like that because the song is about 
a real thing that we're trying to capture. Yeah, but I think even on a basic production level, <laughs> sonically, I think what people are hearing is the natural result um, of our symbiosis um, and the differences between us, again, Ian being a robot and me being a human. So <laughs> <laughs> You're getting way too confident. I know, yeah. I know. No, but... Um, well, I, I, do th- I will say like, you're singing, and one of the reasons I did a weird distinction between you two is because, you know... Sometimes we talk about rappers having different flows or mm-hmm. singers having a dynamic range, but like you are amazingly all over the map here. Like mm. your voice is just doing things I didn't even know you could do. Mm. Like I'm, I'm familiar I'm with. I'm smiling, but I don't know if that's actually a compliment. <laughs> You're just like, you no. just did weird stuff. No, not stuff. weird. No, not weird. <laughs> I mean, impressive, like super impressive stylistic choices and Thank you. phrasing ideas. And like I'm just marveling at you as a singer here. Mm. And I mean, for people who don't know, like you're beyond Bonje and maybe some other stuff. Like you are an in-demand sort of backup person. Like people mm. call you in to, you're a fixer. You're a vocal yeah. fixer, I would yeah. say. They want you on there because yeah. they know you're good. <laughs> and and like, yeah, just hearing the power and the thought you put into your attack mm. on certain songs. And that's kind of what I was going for, too. I feel like your singing tells a story. Mm. Mm. That's Thank you. That's very you also because you don't, um, you're not super proficient in any instrument. So you'll yeah, often think about true. all the layers of a song in vocals. That's a very characteristic so Passive, aggressive, gentle ribbing between you two. Like, <laughs> fascinating. Like, you're not actually that skilled. <laughs> it's just, proficient you just in music. Kind of... You're a robot and I'm a human. <laughs> like, there's just like a, this is becoming an airing of grievances. <laughs> Bonje intervention. We're but on I our do, best behavior I, I do here. think that, but I do want to go back to the differences between us because somehow it works. I've said this a few times that Bonjay shouldn't work on paper. You know, Ian comes from, is a hip hop DJ turned producer influenced by classic soul. I grew up singing gospel music in the Jamaican Pentecostal church. We both love dance hall, but I'm a part of the, I consider the indie community, the community that I'm most deeply embedded in. Um, kind of indie rock stuff. Indie rock stuff, yeah. Like, like the local ro- local rabbits are my favorite band of all time. Yeah. I'm a forever fan of Ben Gunning, whose lyricism has inf- greatly influenced with the way I tell stories. One of the smartest writers ever, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. And he, I don't know if he realizes it. Well, you know? I think uh, I can't speak for Ben. I got to get Ben on this show. I, I said this to Pete Elkis the other night because I was talking to Pete about something who was also in the local rabbits and. Yeah, I got to get Ben on the show. Ben's too smart for me, though. Every time I interview Ben, I'm like, I, I couldn't hang in there. Like he's just very smart, and his lyrics are amazing. And I was like just singing say, back up on his new record. Oh, great! And Robin Dan from Bernice and Alex Samaras, the three of us, were always like, we feel so lucky yes. that we get to sing on it, you know. And then he'll make this, this beautiful ragu and this beautiful meal, and then. We'll go and record He's again. a special guy, Ben Gunning, I think. He yeah. really is. Yeah. But in terms of the communities that we came um, we came up in um, and the sounds that we were bringing to the table, I wouldn't necessarily theorize that Bonje should work. But I think that what's come out of that tension is something is something special. And our approach to making that work is, again, rooted in our symbiosis. So Ian is, is really a craftsman when it comes to uh, coming up with new sounds and using tools to carve them out and create unique timbres and textures to them. I have a more intuitive approach to making music and so I do feel like I add 
I feel in my body whether those sounds are working or not. I check with my body whether the groove is right. I could feel whether the BPM is off by one or two BPM mm -hmm. by moving my body to it. And so I think that we have, you know, these carefully constructed um, instrumentations that people can actually feel. You know, because there is that con that construct, that conscious construct, and that that intuition mixing. And I think that my experience singing in the Pentecostal church, which is very spiritual, adds a rawness to a lot of the sounds yeah, as well. For sure, and that is what drives my vocal delivery. But I think the refinement of that rawness is heavily influenced by Feist, who has such an emotionally honest voice. And lets all the details come through, all yeah. the quivers, the breaths. It's an authentic, authentic revelation. It's so present. Yeah. You know, I feel yeah. like I'm in the room there swimming in a pool of her emotions mm. when I listen to her, to her vocals. And I wanted people to feel, I wanted people to feel that, feel that detail in my voice. And so I'm still obsessed with her music, but I read the Sound on Sound article on how they captured her her vocals and how Renaud Letang mixed it and I studied Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Audio engineering with Robbie Lackritz, who manages her and also records her. I wanted to understand that process. And then when I applied it to my voice, I found that it didn't work. So then I had to unfold and find my own way of nice. doing that. And I think it was in Ian's influence of that conscious process that was able to make my voice and my delivery not so erratic, but my own natural, spiritually driven and raw approach to making music also made it emotive and also made it feel really real. And then I think the connection between us is the, is dance hall. I love bass. Are we allowed to swear on the show? Yeah. I fucking love bass, man. <laughs> I do. And the kick drum has. I need to feel it, you know, beating in my chest. And I need that 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 clap or that snare to to snap. And Ian knows how to do that. And I think we both feel that, especially because Ian, when we got together was DJing UK bass um, mm. heavy music. And so there's some, some of the same sonic tools. So we were coming together with the same ingredients, but we just had different recipes for how we would construct songs. And I think people are hearing the tensions and the contradictions of our different approaches, but also because we are using the same musical loves, there is a cohesion to it as well. Yeah, I mean, in highlighting your singing and, and how you know, dynamic it is, I think it, it music does this very similar thing. Mm -hmm. like the music is a, I think your voice and, and this music and these arrangements, they're tone setters, they're mood setters. There's 
surprise. Mm. Uh, you know, even when Anjanu gets going, I'm just like, whoa! Like it's uh, it's a remarkable thing. And, and you both used the word tension a couple of times, mm. and you've highlighted the fact that you were trying to tell stories of people that are maybe under underrepresented, mm-hmm. marginalized. Your current tour, if I have things correct, is mm. called the Diversity Tour. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is there's a kind of a pointed nature to the naming of this <laughs> tour because diversity and tokenism and all sorts of things are floating around right now as we try to right wrongs, particularly in like sort of um, progressive indie rock circles. There's a lot mm-hmm. of confusion about how to contribute. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think um, the well-meaning whites, <laughs> they want to help some of them, but they also, a lot of them are starting to realize that to help, they need to make space for others to do the mm. work. But it's confusing, and I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going on and rambling about what I think, where I think this diversity tour idea was mm. maybe born, but can you, exp- can, let's go with Alana on this one, can you expand... <coughs> Uh, upon why you are on a tour called the Diversity Tour? Well, it first started with uh, Vivek Shreya of Too Attached, who has become a dear friend of mine. Too Attached um, are, are the other band on this tour, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, they released an album called Angry that's about, uh, quote, POC anger and about not shying away from pointing out more subtle forms of racism that could go unnoticed and is a nuanced view on this particular perspective that you're sharing of like there are well-meaning white people who want to do the right thing but aren't always doing the right thing and may not realize it doing way worse things yeah yeah and because they're well-meaning you don't i don't want to shit on them they're trying you know they're they're not they're not racist per se and Vivek was just like, no, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna point these things out. <laughs> and um, she wanted to do a tour with Bonjay. We're fans of each other's music, and I sang on the two attached record. And I like having a clearly articulated idea. And I was just reflecting on, you know, whenever I, I, I'm in a band with a white guy. For those who don't know Bonjay, I'm black. Ian is white. But when I'm and, conversing. And- Ian's a robot. Yes, Ian is I, a white robot. I'm very robot. white. I'm half Polish and half kind of UK. So some of the whitest jeans. Yeah, that's pretty you white. Ever encounter. That's, yeah. You're also wearing white jeans. I don't understand. <laughs> There's no subtlety to this. Space beast. <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm when I'm talking to, um, I hate this term, but my artist friends of color, you know, we'll 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 joke about the sad fact that if you get more than one band of color on a bill it suddenly becomes the ethnic something yeah you know and at the end of university it was my job to do communications in one of the diversity offices for the federal government Mm -hmm. and so i was i spent my days working with well-meaning white people but i could also see the disconnect between the outcome of some of the the efforts and the in the intention and as we talked about, you know, as we thought about the way we live in cities today, the beauty and the chaos and the possibility of so many different people interweaving, you know, it sounds like this utopia, like this multicultural utopia where we can all come together and live together and who knows what can happen. And we assume that the 
in the who knows what can happen and the possibility. It's only a positive outcome. But we're asking people to pool their differences together. That is uh, an awkward and a messy thing. And so mm-hmm. we just wanted to bring attention to the fact that I'm not entirely certain that we know what diversity means. We want to highlight the fact that um, we have these two bands that are fronted by people of, of color and that um, in some ways it's likely that the that the, the tour would be kind of subtly marketed as such. And we also just want to have a good laugh because it's just... That's often what uh, we end up having to do. Yeah. It's kind of satirizing the hardship on some level, right? Yeah. And kind of and, and, and trying to own it. It's better than not feeling it, you know? Yeah, feeling I, it, and, and but also trying to... I hate to use the word cope with it. That's the wrong word. But it's actually trying to turn it on its head, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just turning it on its head. Uh, but yeah. also highlighting it in a way that doesn't take away from the n- necessary seriousness of talking about exactly. diversity and what it really means, but adding adding a little bit of levity and poking fun at anybody that thinks that, like, diversity. I believe in diversity. I love diversity. It's like, I don't know if you've actually lived with diversity because it can be quite hard. I want to come back to you on that notion mm-hmm. of what what diversity looks like to you mm-hmm. in, a, in a positive way, but I actually want to flip the question to Ian now. Same question, basically. Like, Elena's saying, like, people don't know what diversity means. Surely you two have talked about this at some point in your lives. Uh, do you have a sense of what she's what she means there and, and what your definition of diversity is as the whitest person ever in Banjay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I grew up in a really diverse neighborhood, so I'm kind of comfortable around these things. You know what I mean? Um, like The topics, you mean? Yeah, well, the topics are like the mix of people, for sure. Like oh. my natural habitat is with the real mix of mix of people you know one useful thing that i can add is that in designing the poster we actually made a change at my request Hmm. initially so if you can picture the poster it's people running a race and it's like me up ahead i have a starting point that's ahead of everyone else and then the members of two attached and alana are behind to various degrees like i have an advantage from the beginning of the race and we we wanted something that was like funny and uh, a bit provocative and all these when we were working with uh, the artist Stephanie Chen, and uh, when it initially came back, it was like generic people, so like generic white person ahead of generic brown people, and I really wanted to to change it. We kind of had a conversation and and so on, and then in the end, we agreed to change it to being us as individuals, as real people. Because I think making diversity work is really valuable. Like you look at the histories of like music scenes or great cities or whatever, and they always have a lot of different kinds of people who look and think differently and they come together and they make cool new stuff. But um, I also feel like the most important thing is often engaging. And so I really wanted the poster to have us as individuals so that we could talk about like real people, right? And our own personal experiences. You mean like, you mean depictions of you specifically? Exactly. You guys and your bands specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's an illustrated poster and we wanted illustrated depictions of us. Yeah. So that, so that it was more about, uh, so, well, so that it was a starting point to a conversation about how do we make this poster and how do we feel about this rather than uh, a blanket statement mm-hmm. about 
about everyone who looks a certain way. I think the word engaging is important because something that I felt when I saw the generic portrayals of a white woman and then a row of of brown-toned women on the track, it felt more humorous. But when I saw Ian and then us behind... I started to feel angry. Yeah. Just a slight pang. It felt very real it to place real. myself yeah. in that situation, to have this mirrored back at me. You can't ignore it um, when you place yourself in it. And so I can understand why people don't want to engage with diversity because it really is hard to see yourself in this place where you're not the only one or where your ideas might be challenged. But I think it's important, like Ian says, to engage with diversity is because when your ideas are rubbing up against somebody else's or when when they're challenged, you're forced to think in new ways. And out of those new ways comes innovation and new possibilities. And so I think that that's why diversity should be more valued than it is and why engaging with diversity is important. You have to feel it to really to really know it. So does that speak to my, my earlier sort of question of your ideal of, not only your ideal of, I guess it is like your ideal of an understanding and appreciation of what diversity actually could be? I think I'm still exploring what it is myself, yeah, yeah. but you know, like I said, I grew up with so many different kinds of people um, or people of different backgrounds and it wasn't always comfortable, but I did learn a lot. And I think that my ideal situation would be where we could sit with different people who live differently from from each other and think differently and be able to build a resilience to the yeah. resistance to that difference, you know, to be able to accept the ebb and flow of not like the synchronicity, but just like be able to accept that, you know, sometimes moments will be uncomfortable. Yeah. But I don't think that that is a justification for I don't think that overrides the benefit. I Absolutely. think there's more benefit than there isn't. Than it, not. You know what my my take on diversity that the cultural product that gets closest to <laughs> you it. You smiling and saying <laughs> that it's like what are you going to say? <laughs> I think that the greatest show of this century uh so far has probably been uh the Chappelle show and I remember when that came out that felt for me and my friends, like, mm. oh, here are people who joke around like us, right? And right. that is kind of the most racist show that's been on television mm-hmm. in the last 20 years. But because people are engaging and talking about it and it's well, out there. Do you, do you think, do you, do you think the Chappelle show was racist or do you think it was confronting and, and upending racism? Well, he quit the show because people were taking it the wrong way. Right? Like, have you heard this story that he ultimately felt like they were not getting what he was intended? But the show itself wasn't racist, but people were misinterpreted. And I think he also had, from my recollection, he also had um, issues with management taking advantage of him and exploiting him and what he was bringing to the table and not. Like, yes, there was a a fan. You mean like its reception was misconstrued? No, no. The story I've heard is that he, uh, (coughs) during one of the, the sketches, a cameraman laughed at a joke. It was like a white guy who was a cameraman who laughed at a joke, and he didn't sound like he was in oh, on the joke. Right. That he was laughing at it in the like, in the, the crudest possible I way. See. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I'm sure it was many things, as it always is. Yeah, in I a mean, situation it was many like things. This. But it's not a coincidence that Dave went to Africa. Mm-hmm. I think to find himself and figure that out. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Um, anyway, we, but, that's a bit of a tangent, but yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that that yeah that that um, I wouldn't say that it has driven my impression of diversity, but it reflected me and the diverse group of friends who I, I grew up with. Here was someone who was able to joke around like we joked around yeah. and like take it to a whole other level. Sure. And so, yeah, I mean, diversity, you know, this ethnic diversity matters and gender and sexuality and all those things. But really, yeah. but we, I would say that one of our beliefs is that we are two very different people as comes up again and yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we really believe in engaging and listening and stuff like that. And yeah. so I, I think your your take on diversity and all this is probably quite different from mine in some ways. I don't know but if the I, take is different, but the experience <laughs> obviously yeah, is obviously Definitely is different. different. Well, yeah. but I also, I, I mean, like the Chappelle Show thing is real. I, I enjoy joking about these things and I really enjoy being brought into the world of other people as well yeah. and understanding their, their perspective. And so, um, yeah, I... Whenever we talk about these things, and we t- do talk about them from time to time, I was, I, I come even when we disagree, mm-hmm. I come away enlightened by yeah. the conversation. Sure, yeah. I think it's a, I, I do it's, again that word engagement. Like this conversation makes me uncomfortable because I can con- I you know constantly feel like you know when is the is he gonna is the white man gonna say something wrong and then are you guys is there gonna be some kind of conflict. I just want everybody to get along, but that's just not possible, you know, but I think that it's important for me personally, um, because of my belief in diversity to have more of these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, that's, I I totally appreciate that. And I want to go back to Lush Life for a Mm -hmm. moment though, uh, because we were talking, we've talked about diversity now Mm -hmm. and we've talked about, um, this notion of exploring, you know, like I asked about your relationship uh, or the relationship of this material to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I think, Ian, you said, well, actually, it's, it was more born from touring and, and seeing other places. Mm. But in the seven years since you released music, last released music, Toronto has changed immensely. Mm-hmm. And, and the perception of Toronto has changed immensely. This is a city that I think is now looked upon for beats, for, for musical innovation mm-hmm. and production. Does Lush Life reflect... <laughs> A cityscape and Toronto in some way, and I think maybe it was taken too literally. And I maybe that was my maybe my wording of like, did you make it sound like a city? Yeah. But you are Toronto artists uh, now, mm-hmm. uh, full full fledged. If there was ever any doubt, does this music reflect a cultural moment of in Toronto? If not the cityscape itself, but like, do you feel part of? Do you feel influenced by? What's the city has been up to in the last little while with with the OVOs and OVO people and K Tronada and all these people? There's all a lot of great beat makers here now, mm-hmm. and I think people look to Toronto as this this hub for this sort of thing. Ian, does that resonate with you, or do you feel separate from Toronto? I think I feel the same combination of influences, but we came up with our own thing. So I feel like being here, it would be really hard if we were still in Ottawa, or if we were in most other places in the world to come up with this combination of dance hall and orchestral soul and indie uh, sentiment. You know who I yeah. stupidly who I stupidly left out of that cohort of people was Lido Pimenta. Hmm. Oh yeah, she's great. Yeah. I really feel like Lido I had this joke the other day that I was gonna I said it to someone, I'm like, I feel like everything I listen to now, new 
sounds like either Lido Pimenta or the Minutemen. Like almost everything <laughs> sounds a little bit like Lido and a little bit like the Minutemen to me. Is the Minutemen, is that like an old It's an old punk, punk band. band. No, they're a punk band. They okay, were like one of the punk. first sort of post-hardcore okay. kind of punk bands and innovative <laughs> sort of jazz influence. Mike Wad and Dee Boone. And anyway, oh, okay. they're just fantastic, fantastic group from San Pedro. But that's my... That's just my frame of reference. Mm. And, like, I hear their influence now in everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I think they are quietly influential. And and the same thing with Lido is, like, I feel like, and I'm not suggesting that you guys are sounding like Lido or anything like that, but it's starting to feel like this underground electronic music tradition that's coming out of Toronto is, I can feel kinship. Mm. There. Oh, well, with me though. Yeah, I when I when you when you talk about Kechonada and like the Drakes of the world and things like that. Is he from Montreal? No. Or does he live here now? <laughs> Drake, did Drake? No, Drake. No, Kechonada. Kechonada is Montreal. I think he's Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. But I associate him with um, so many Toronto artists just because of his. He's so great. Yeah. Also. yeah. I mean, yeah. I know so yeah. many Toronto artists who are really connected to him so I think I, you're, you're right actually that's a good point to raise but anyway yes but the same similar sonic family yeah 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 something's I don't, going on with Canada I guess as well it's not just Toronto I don't feel an affinity with that yeah. sound okay. I hear that sound I run to that sound I dance to that sound but in terms of a kindred spirit I when you said Lido Pimienta I relate to that because I feel like like Lido it feel her music feels more of the world and could be incubated in Toronto, yeah. whereas a Drake sound, an OVO sound, sounds like it can only come from Toronto. Hmm, hmm. You know, like, we started the album in Berlin. We mixed it in Hamilton. We played it in Kingston, Jamaica. We, you know, wrote it in and recorded it in Toronto and in different places. And I feel like our sound would only could only exist from going there and picking an ingredient yeah, yeah. there you know whereas I feel OVL like, feels like but that's but the, I will I would only argue mm-hmm. that for all the kind of misgivings about multiculturalism I'm becoming more informed about just how significant the Caribbean diaspora has been on Toronto oh yeah like the mm. 60s 70s that that has shaped a lot of the music mm-hmm. we're hearing mm-hmm. and I'm hearing like when Drake puts out a mixtape or something and and works with different people. Like I'm starting to hear that Toronto mm-hmm. more. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm not saying you guys are part of that necessarily, but when I think of Lido and I think of <coughs> that aspect of Drake and OVO yeah. and you guys, I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I hear the the way I hear Toronto in terms of that kind of music. I hear the world. Mm. I hear different parts of the world coming through this filter of Toronto. Mm. That's kind of what I was getting at. Oh, and, for real. And that's yeah. where Lush Life as an exploration of city experiences beyond this city mm-hmm. speaks to me. Like mm. it is a global perspective on city life. Mm. And it's coming out of Toronto. And that's where I see the connection. And I finally oh. articulated it properly. Hey, you know what? There's a great <laughs> quote from uh, James Joyce, who I'll admit to never having read anything by. But uh, but Except why he <laughs> yeah, why he, he wrote about Dublin all yeah, the time, even yeah. though I guess he didn't live there later on. Uh, but he says, why, why did they write about Dublin? In the particular is contained the universal. So the idea that... You tell these individual stories about a time and a place, but if you if they're well told and you feel like you're there and you feel like what they're feeling, then you can relate to them. 
even if if your situation is different. You know something funny when when we uh, released the last EP, you know you can like go online and have a sense of who's listening and who's following you and stuff like that. There were a lot of foreign exchange students from Africa and South Asia who were going to school in the West who were listening to the Bonjay songs, right? And I always felt like that was you know that's a real audience that we that we connect with because we're telling these stories of not feeling entirely at home mm. anywhere mm. as we, I mean, I think of us as we're trying to, to build that new home, right? Mm. Like every generation has its own music. We're trying to be some of the culture that helps to make everyone feel included because those are the people that we're writing about. Mm. Um, so, I mean, Toronto for all of its failings is, is one of the best places in the world to do that. We're, we're trying to make all these things work. It's really hard, but, but um, hopefully we keep kind of learning and getting a bit better at it. Yeah. Yeah. Lana, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I did <laughs> want to um, say that, yeah, we started writing the, the record in Berlin, and it is, you know, very Toronto in, in many ways. But Lush Life isn't just about the way we live in big cities today. You know, it is the small and, and mid-sized cities, yeah. like mixing in Hamilton some of the best shows, the most fulfilling shows we've had have been in Guelph, you know, where there's just this openness. I don't know if it's because it's a smaller place and so people don't take um, opportunities for granted. Guelph is a place, you know, there are many students, they're there for a purpose um, and they've chosen to be there. And so they're really living, really living life uh, and taking advantage of their, their time there. But yeah, I just I wanted to recognize that you don't have to come to Toronto to be innovative, you know. Yeah. Being in Hamilton. Um, you don't have to tell me. Yeah. We, we've had some of our best nights in Guelph. I'm telling people sure. who are listening that in, in <laughs> Hamilton we were so um, inspired, first of all, by the analog synth collection that exists in so many artists there. But Azari and Th- uh, Alphonse Lanza of Azari and Third is from there, who's the cousin of Jesse Lanza, who's from Hamilton. Um, who worked with Jeremy Greenspan, who's the unofficial mascot of the city, and Orfix and Testy, who's a techno, like longtime icon who released a, a huge single when he was like when he was a teenager. Caribou, and Caribou from yeah. Dundas or just outside just and Dundas, members. Yeah. yeah, there's this place that took the, the the available tools and ingredients, and they were free from um, industry expectation. And they had um, suddenly abandoned steel mills when, you know, that industry crashed. And they used their their boredom to create yeah. new sounds, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And because they had this past these pastiche this pastiche of, of tools and influences that could only exist in that place, that their sound could only come from that place you know it didn't they didn't have to go to toronto and meet with big with big producers they just needed to pull their ideas together and also when you're in a small town once if you have a party my understanding is because i did a doc on this you know the kids who liked detroit techno were also the kids who like who were making industrial music who um were also the kids listening to pop radio and all these people are interacting and is like this petri dish for musical yeah. ideas, and so it isn't mm. just the Berlins and the Londons and the New Yorks and Toronto of the world, Toronto's of the world. It's also um, the Hamiltons, and you look at Kingston, Jamaica. It's not a big 
city, you know, and it's made some of the most popular music, the longest standing innovative music in the world. I think of Bristol Mm -hmm. and Virginia Beach. Yes. Too, right? Like the Timberland and the the Neptunes and everything. Yeah, Yeah. these are not big places, but they, part of it is just pure stubbornness and adventurism. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, but I think also just not, you have to make your own culture sometimes when you're in a place like that. Yeah. 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 It's not coming to you. Well, I want to know. It's been we've already established. It's been a long time <laughs> since your last release, uh, and I, I don't mean to beat that to death, but it does beg the question. So, Lush Life is out. Mm. What's next, Ian? What happens for Bonjay after the Diversity Tour? What happens? Like, are there already plans afoot for more music and more uh, activity? We were talking about it today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how much do we want to talk about that? Well, first, I'm going to sleep. So I'm gonna do, yeah. and then no, we like I said, we have music um, that isn't necessarily on this record, but stories that still need to be told, and songs that are completed, and so I anticipate some more music on the horizon. And also, I haven't I haven't talked to, we haven't talked about this at length, but Lush Life is like is a thinking man's record that you can move to. You can still dance and Absolutely. sway to it. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of weight to it, talking about these these topics. And there are some songs that I pushed against because I am I think have the darkest sensibility in the band. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for some levity and for some fun. And so I'd like to pull out some of Ian's productions and maybe get ready for be inspired by Carabana. And nice. yeah, there's more music mm. coming for sure. And Do some soaking, collaborations kind of stuff. and remixes and all that Sweet. yeah awesome great well where can people learn more about bonjay these days i would say go to bonjay.net okay and that is your entry into the <laughs> bonjay you my hands are yes, going I, in all <laughs> kinds of directions yes. facebook and instagram bonjay.net bonjay.net okay and people can learn more about picking up the record there too yeah what formats is it available in in this day and age digital formats at the moment so yeah Google, I mean, we're the only Bonjay, B-O-N-J-A-Y. Good job. Yeah. yeah. That's hard to do even these days is to have a band that you can easily find on the internet. So. Completely not strategic as well. No. Us, people saying the Grenadian expression, where it comes from, right. Island of Grenada in the Caribbean, and, and some Filipino people, a, Filipino a woman politician? who ran for deputy hmm. mayor of uh, Manila in the Philippines. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good Bonjay, 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 Bonjay. That was her campaign Yeah, song. so if you find that one, it's not wow. <laughs> Everything else is good company uh, to keep, really. But yeah. Bonjay.net, Lush Life is out digitally on all platforms on May 25th. We're okay. really excited about it. Good. Well, congratulations. Is Thank there, you. Is there a single song from Lush Life that we can go out on right now? <sighs> yeah, I think uh, we should listen to Medicine for Melancholy. Um, it's a song that is releasing the the energy and the frustration of having an identity rooted in duality, you know, where you feel like you haven't quite found your place in the world, but then you realize that you can carve out your own. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's thought-provoking in itself. But it's just, you can just dance to it because it feels really good. <laughs> this is New Music by Bonjay. Alana, Ian, thank you so much for making this record thank and for you, being Beesh. on this show. It means a lot, and I wish you the best of luck with everything. Thank you. I can disguise any side I'm a spy. Ain't 
Special thanks to Alana and Ian of Bonjay for being on this, the 398th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on things like Spotify and YouTube and Audio Boom as well. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, or if you wish to learn more about me and uh, sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com, V-I-S-H-K-H-A-N-N-A.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter, at vishcreative, or follow me, at vishkana. You can listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at cfru.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Please consider visiting patreon.com slash creativecontrol to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. Your your donations, your pledges, they're all uh, very, very appreciated. So thank you very much for considering uh, doing that. Patreon.com slash creativecontrol. Thanks again to all the uh, people who make in-kind donations to the program uh, via goods, services, and whatnot. I'd like to thank uh, uh, Jim Guthrie for letting me use the instrumental version of his song, The Rest Is Yet to Come, to end this show each and every week. Learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And uh, finally, last but not least, thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you learned things about Bon Jay that you didn't know before. And uh, yeah, thanks for continuing to support the show just by listening to it, telling your friends about it, rating, reviewing it. All those sorts of things. Downloading episodes, that's a big thing. If you can do that, that would be great. And then just spread the word. Tell people about this show, Creative Control, and hopefully they will uh, find something they uh, like about it, maybe. Who knows? That's all for me for now. I will talk to you soon. See you later. Bye for now. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 